With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast. And here are your hosts, Nina Pantic and Irina Falcone. Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast, Inside the Tour. I'm Nina Pantic, and I'm joined by my co-host, Irina Falcone. Hey guys, how's it going? On today's episode, we're going to have Charleston Tournament Director Bob Moran on. He's going to talk a little bit about his career and what he does year-round to promote the Volvo Car Open, as well as talk about how he recruits different players, entices them, and keeps things interesting and evolving at the Volvo Car Open because... They have a bit of a challenge in coming right after the hardcore swing of Indian Wells and Miami. One such way he's been innovating is using UTR to host a pre-qualifying tournament to give a wild card to the champion. This year, Jessica Ho won it. Uh, she's ranked in the 500s on the WTA. She made it into the qualifying draw with that wild card. Um, oddly enough, I played this tournament back when it was a junior tournament called the Smash Cup. So it's pretty cool that the tournament holds a pre-qualifying draw. It used to be a junior tournament, then it was a college tournament, and now it's based on universal tennis rating. Um, anyone over a 10.0 could have entered and earned a spot in qualifying. It ultimately played against the likes of, you know, Sloan Stevens, Caroline Wozniacki, Madison Keys. The field is strong every year. All right, let's hear from Bob Moran. Okay, we have Bob Moran on, the tournament director of the Family Circle Cup, now known as the Volvo Car Open. What does your job entail both during the year and during the tournament? It's the biggest women's only professional tournament in the North America. It's a clay court event running from April 1st to 7th. What is your job description like during it and then kind of year round? Absolutely. And, and thanks for having me on this. Uh, I'm really uh, I'm really enthused to uh, discuss everything about tennis with you guys. You guys are doing a great job. So, you know, the tournament, once the tournament ends in a year, um, within a week to two weeks, we really, we take a hard look at what worked, what didn't work. Um, where do, where do we want to start looking at changes? And we take in a lot of, a lot of information from players, from volunteers, from ticket holders, um, telling us what we did right, what we did wrong. Cause we have so many different groups or worlds that we, that we need to satisfy or create a great experience for that we try and listen to everybody. Um, and while it's fresh in our heads, we sit down and go through everything and then start building a plan. Um, you know, we end in April and a plan over the summer of, Hey, what do we want to look like? What do we want to change? What do we want to do? How can we make a difference? And um, that planning starts right away uh, because we really will start selling tickets again in August. Um, and September. So it's a very quick turnaround for us um, between the end of a term and the beginning of the tournament. So all summer long, um, we're really uh, looking at those changes and start developing a plan. And at the same time, I'm, myself and Eleanor Adams, who works for me here, uh, we start recruiting for next year. Uh, even though we're a large women's only event, players don't have to come here. We're not a mandatory event. So uh, we spend all year talking and, and recruiting and spending time with agents um, and doing all those fun things to to make players feel like 
uh, this is the place they want to be when April comes around. It is a consistent year-round process that, uh, that we build upon. Every year you've had a pretty solid field, some really top players consistently. What's the biggest challenge? Is it getting players? Is it getting enough, I don't know, funding and sponsorship? Is it selling tickets for you personally? What, what are some of the challenges? I think all three are challenges. Um, you know, we're not the easiest date coming off of Miami, Indian Wells in Miami. Um, it's four weeks of hard courts. Uh, and then we're that transition. We're the only green clay event um, in the world, really, on the, on the WGA Tour. So it's a transition event to the red clay uh, that they're going to transition to overseas. Um, so there's always decision-making going on there with players. If they want to stay for that next week, if they want to leave and go home, uh, if they're from overseas. Um, they're also making decisions based on Fed Cup. You know, we just spent, I took a whole team up to Asheville uh, for the U.S.-Australia Fed Cup match. And I can tell you, all the U.S. players were already committed to us, but the Aussies were considering, depending on the, the result, if they were going to come or not, because two weeks after our event, um, the Australians now have to uh, host, I want to say Belarus, um, in Australia. So that event with Fed Cup had an effect on Ashley Barty, on Daria Gavrilova, on Arena Sa- uh, Sabalenka, all players who now have a new event in their schedule that a week prior to Fed Cup they didn't have. So players... Um, we are selling all the time sponsorships because we have to raise significant dollars to pay for everything. Um, and then ticket sales in, the, in, the, in the, this day and age when, you know, the attention span of, of your, your typical viewer is getting shorter and shorter. We're asking, him for, asking for them to spend a, a lot of time with us. So it's really important that we try and create that atmosphere that speaks not just to a great on-site experience for our ticket holders, but something that they'll continue to come back to multiple days. So all three are big challenges for us uh, year in and year out. And your tournament is well known for being a lot of fun, being really welcoming, the Southern charm, all of that kind of plays in and makes it a great event. And there's also this kind of famous, oh, I think it's famous, player party with a candy bar. You always change locations. How important is it to have the atmosphere and the fun stuff to surround a tournament, including that player party? Well, you know, I, I tell a lot of people, be it our fans or our, our sponsors, is we spend probably 90% of our time on everything outside the courts. So the, the level of play is always going to be high. But we're not worried about the on-court uh, show that, that's put on here. Very high level women's tennis it is fantastic to watch, and we don't have to sell that so much. We have to sell everything else, and that's, again, to the constituents we were talking about. The players, we have to make sure they're going to be here and enjoy themselves, and anything we can do to help that experience, we're going to do. We're constantly thinking about it. What can we do to differentiate ourselves? Um, and then from the fan experience, everything we can do to make that fan experience a better one, you know, be it a new app that we have. So, you know, think about this for a fan because um, girls, you're normally playing on court, but the fans, when they have to leave their seats to go, go get a drink or go get something to eat or, or anything like that, they usually have to wait for a changeover, get up, walk, walk out. And then they have to wait for another changeover to come back in and sit down. And then normally that's like a 30-minute miss of seeing tennis. And you know how much can go on in those 30 minutes. So we've been working with our new app and a new company over the last two years to uh, to provide inbox seat service. So people don't have to get up. They can use their app, order their, their food or drink, and it'll be delivered to their seats within five minutes. And last year we, we tested it, and it was a home run for us. And this year we're just trying to advance it more so we, we can offer more, do more, and bring more of the stadium into play. So a lot of the things that we're thinking about 
or about that fan experience, making it easier, making it better and more convenient. That sounds so amazing. It definitely goes to show how spoiled we are in today's world. But, you know, convenience is something you really, you, you can buy thanks to this app. And uh, that, that truly is amazing. Um, I know for a fact that the Charleston Players Party is literally my most favorite player party of the year. And I, I'm just curious, there's always, I think, uh, a different venue every year. I just, I'm curious, how do you guys choose that venue? And uh, do different people put bids out there? Or how does that work? Uh, no, we're, we're, you know, I think what differentiates us with most, and, and I don't want to speak to everybody, but when I do see player parties in other places, I see a lot of ties. I see a lot of speeches. I see a lot of formal dinners. And um, I get that for what you have to do for sponsors. We've tried to really stay to the mold of let's create a really cool atmosphere that's all about the players. And I think any of our partners or sponsors that do come to the party respect that Um, because we know if the players are there, they have a good time, they're enjoying their time, they're going to spend more time. And we found that to be true. With that in mind, we're always looking for something new or different from a, a venue experience that it's all about what can we create that's unique and different that we know the players are going to enjoy. Um, so, you know, again, we finish the year, we take a look, one of those subjects is the player party and say, okay, what do we want to do next year? And Charleston is ever growing. So there's new venues that are popping up every year and we try and look at all of them. And then we make a decision not based on anything other than what we think will be a great experience for our players. So a lot of tournament directors or some of them are former players these days. We've got James Blake in Miami, Tommy Haas in Indian Wells, a few others all over the the world. How did you end up in this role, and what's your thoughts on these former players kind of jumping into it so late in their careers, or I guess in their new careers? Well, you know, it, it's interesting because um, I don't come from a tennis background. I actually, uh, I'm a golfer, and my, my past was in golf, but I've always been in the event business. Um, and most of my most of my team here are, are, are event managers and event executors. We're not... Um, you know, high-ranked tennis players, we all play, but we play because we enjoy it and, and have a good time with it. But we've all become very passionate about what tennis means in this community. So um, for us, it, it's, it was a starting place for a job that's become, I would say, for everybody on my team. I have multiple people on my team who have been with us for 19 years. Uh, so they become passionate about it, they care about it, and we continue to grow it. Uh, with Tommy and James, both great individuals, I personally would love to see a female tournament direct come about as well. Uh, you know, it's it's nice to have Tommy and James, but I think we need the other side of that. And I, you know, I, I hope some of our players that are, are taking their next step in their careers would consider it and look to it. And we would do anything we could to support that. But I think having players gives a really good perspective on player needs, on um, facilities, on all those things, because we don't see it all. We see it all from our eyes, but a lot of times players have a whole different point of view. And that's why we spend as much time as we do talking to players and getting feedback. Um, so there's definitely, you know, an advantage of having a player uh, from a tournament director perspective who can just, just have a whole different opinion on things. That's so important. People always say that just because you're a good player uh, does not mean that you're going to then become a very good coach. So I guess in, in turn, it's the same thing. Just because you're a, a player does not necessarily mean that you're going to have all the business savvy uh, experience that maybe someone that has worked in event promotions and all that. So I guess the two worlds kind of 
colliding is, is a really good thing for, for future tournaments. Um, I think it's a very healthy thing. I really do. Yeah. On the note of you guys always kind of changing things, innovating every year, this year, the Volvo Car Open Qualifying Wildcard Tournament using UTR, Universal Tennis Rating, and then the winner of that gets a wildcard into the qualifying of the actual professional event, which is insane. And it's something that's I'm really familiar with because I won that Smash Junior Cup, it was called back then. I think it was 2006, 2007, and, and I got to you know compete against other juniors, obviously, and then get a chance to play in the qualifying of what was then the Family Circle Cup, the biggest tournament I've ever played in. I got destroyed in both times in qualifying, but I mean, it's one of those experiences that you can't ever forget. I definitely won't. I think I still have the giant, it's a check, but it doesn't say any money. It's just like wild card into the tournament. Um, I think I have it in my garage still. I love that. I love that, Nina. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's honestly the coolest thing ever. And now this year, you're using UTR. How did you decide to do that? Yeah, we and you know when we look at the success of this event, you know this is our 47th year, and be very successful 47 years. Um, and and I do attribute that to the fact that we're here every day, every week, every month. Um, our team is always looking to grow the game of tennis. We're not coming in, uh, you know, a month out, a month and a half out, building a facility, running a tennis tournament, and then we leave. Our team is all committed to this community, all part of this community. So um, giving opportunity is really important. Having the ability to do that is even more important. Um, so, yeah, the, we did uh, uh, take a try on a collegiate event one year, and we didn't get the turnout that we wanted. Um, it was a great opportunity for a young lady from Vanderbilt to play in a, her first professional event. And, and you, know, you speak to it really well. It's a great opportunity to play in your first big event. So, we were looking at UTR, and then I got to tell you, what really overwhelmed me is we hosted the U.S. Girls Clay Court Championships in Charleston this past year. And so with that, as you guys know, every collegiate coach, uh, women's coaches on property, and I won't say every coach, but every coach that I talked to, I asked them how they evaluated players, and everyone had every player's UTR ranking on their sheets. And that's how they were evaluating players. And I'm like, I, I just kind of resonated with me right away saying, wow, if, at that level, they trust that system the most, then we need to be paying attention to it. And so we started having really strong conversations with UTR. And what I loved about the conversation wasn't about anything other than how do we build a better tennis community? How do we build a better place where, you know, it's not in regards to age, it's not in regards to um, male or female, it's not in regard to anything else other than what is your ability and a younger player can play with an older player that's similarly ranked or similarly rated and so on and so forth. So we thought let's let this event could be a really cool way to get it started, but also let's spread the word on UTR that we want to build a better tennis community. And I think, you know, it's, it's starting to go down that path and you're right. UTR is the hot topic right now. You watch the Australian open and you saw them, you know, doing UTR rank, uh, ratings and picking a match each day that they compared to UTR and who was going to win. Um, and it has really developed a good discussion amongst local tennis players and collegiate tennis players. So, um, so I think what we're seeing is just a great opportunity to build something that no one else is doing. And that's what we kind of hold our hat on is we got to work a little bit harder than everybody else to be successful. That's fantastic. I think it's going to be just such an innovative tool all throughout, I mean, throughout the world. There's been a few times I've been 
playing with several kids around my neighborhood and one of them actually was like, oh yeah, you know, my UTR is this and my UTR is that. And we recently spoke with a Stephen Armitrage who, you know, he's, he's the big man to talk to when it comes to UTR and we learned so much about it. So can't wait to see how it progresses in the future. Yeah, so are we. Uh, Stephen's been a good partner for us um, for, for many years now. And when he made that switch, uh, he was one of the first people we talked to, uh, to just get this conversation going. Um, so one hot topic, I know that, uh, Shelby Rogers is coming back and, uh, you know, she is a Charleston homegrown girl and just wanted to talk to, uh, to you about, you know, her effect and her reputation in Charleston. I mean, she is huge. She's a big deal in Charleston and, uh, she's coming back. It's going to be her first tournament back from almost a year out. And, uh, you know, how did that come about? Has she been talking about it with you guys? Like, how did you guys decide to spread the news, I guess? Sure. Now, you know, again, I go back to when I talk to folks and I talk to USGA leadership, how important having professional events um, are to tennis in this country. And, and, you know, I hate to say it, but if you look at it, I think we only have six uh, professional high-level women's events left in the the States. and, and, And that's not a good thing. Um, but I also, why I believe having professional, professional tennis drives everything down to the juniors. And I really believe that young women in this community, and it's no surprise to me that Shelby is who Shelby is. And it's no surprise to me that I've got another young lady in the top 500, Nellie Halbauer, who, who started here. And, uh, the next one who won the girls U.S. play courts, um, uh, Emma Navarro, 16 years old. She got a wild card into uh, the tournament this year, because she won the U.S. Girls Play Courts from Charleston, born and raised, came to this tournament as a youngster. And it, it's important. It's really important for young people to be inspired by professional tennis players and then aspire to be that player. And Shelby definitely was that. And Shelby now is that. She was inspired. And now she's aspiring in a sense that every young girl that is playing tennis in this community knows Shelby. They all know Shelby. They all want to be Shelby. And I love that about what we do. Um, so Shelby called me a couple weeks ago. And uh, and we keep up throughout the year how she's doing, you know, where she, you know, I remember before Australia, I just reached out to, to see how she was doing and she was going to, you know, be back on tour in the beginning of the season. And she was thinking about it, just didn't think she was going to be ready. Um, and then she called me and said, hey, you know, Bob, I'm, I'm, I was thinking about signing up for a tournament in Mexico uh, I think it was a hundred K challenger to be my first, to get my feet under me. And that was my decision. And then that got canceled. And she goes, now I'm in a place that, you know, my only real opportunity is to come back to Charleston. And I said, Shelby, that's a great idea. We love it. We, we really are looking forward to you starting back here. And um, it was a, just a really good phone conversation that we're excited about. I know Shelby's excited about, and our fans will be, We'll be thrilled, but they already are. Once we made that announcement, we, we got great feedback from everybody around here who's, who's eager to see her back playing on the courts. I'm looking forward to seeing her back playing for sure. I think she's been documenting her return a lot on social media, and then she was part of Tennis Channel's family last year and did an amazing job in Charleston. So I think it's always awesome for a local Southern-grown South Carolina girl to get to have her chance to play on her own home stage. Do you have any favorite stories from the job? I think you've been working as a tournament director in particular for, what, almost two decades? Um, and you've been, no, or no? 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 <laughs> I've been here for 19 years. i uh tournament director for, I believe, 11 or 12 now. Okay. I think it's 12, 12 years. A good chunk. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, There's a lot of good stories and a lot of good 
good feelings about things, you know, from, you know, great matches on court. I think one of the things, and, and I'll be just very transparent with you guys because we're having fun with this discussion, but it was Conchita Martin, Patty Schneider playing a, a great match on center court. And um, when Conchita hits a serve or serves an ace, she wants that ball back. You know, she, she has that habit. And Patty quickly figured that out. And Patty wouldn't give it back and would keep it on her side of the court or put it in her, her tennis skirt or whatever. And they were getting very angry at each other and were probably trying to communicate in a mutual language. And I think they tried four or five different languages before they finally connected on uh, a mutual language that they both could understand each other. And I don't really want to think about what they were saying, but they weren't happy about it. And uh, it was one of those things that they, they just went back and forth the whole time. The crowd was into it. And it was one of those funny experiences. One player just wasn't going to give the other player back the favorite ball when she served an ace. And it just continued from there. It continued to a non-shake of hands at the net. And then it continued into the, into the clubhouse where a lot of back and forth went on. It was, you know, one of those moments where you, you're just in disbelief that it's going on. But it's one of those things that resonates with me. As two, actually two of the favorite players in Charleston, Conchita and, and Patty, both had great followings here. And uh, a great match, one that was epic in the fact that the back and forth was just priceless to watch. I love all that stuff that goes on kind of between the points, between the lines amongst players, all the little stories. And in that case, a little bit of drama, maybe just a touch there. But it's, it's always adds a certain level of, I don't know, entertainment and value and and depth to these these people and these people you watch every day playing tennis. Irina actually has a story she wants to share as well from her experience in Charleston. Irina, all you. Uh-oh. <laughs> so, uh, so Charleston actually has a very uh, nice place in my heart just because it was the very first WTA tournament that I won my first main draw match at. So I qualified and I played uh, Magda- Magdalena Rubarakova and I beat her and it was my it was such a huge win because she had just like won like two clay court titles or something like that and it was just a really exciting time for me but that's not really the story the story was um the day of the sign-in so uh for those of you that don't know this just because you have your credential and this is this is where it starts just because you have your credential does not mean that you're signed up and signed in on site for the tournament so uh, the I think the sign-in deadline was either three or four, and I was practicing right at that time. And all of a sudden, I look at my phone, and I have like 47 missed calls. And turns out I hadn't actually put my name down. I hadn't gone to the WTA office to sign in and everything. And thankfully, they, they saw it as like a first-time offense, and they were just like, it's fine. Like, we know that you were on site, but like, why the hell did you not come to the WTA office? And I, being a rookie as I was, I was like, well, I had just played, I think, U.S. Open not too long before that, and I had only played ITS before that, and I was like, well, at U.S. Open, once you have your badge, like, once you're signed in on WTA Player Zone, like, you don't need to actually go on site and sign in and everything, so I almost missed out on playing Charleston just because, even though I was on site, I didn't put my actual name in, but thankfully, I was able to sneak in. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, rookie mistake. Rookie mistake, and it was good. It was a great thing that you did it here, because we're relatively nice here. Yes, you guys are definitely known for having that Southern hospitality. And I mean, I I know every time I go there, I, I just want to go downtown and see the 
brick roads and go out to have some wonderful food. I have a close family friend of mine that lives in Charleston and I mean, she just loves it there. And every time I see her Instagram, I'm just like, I, I see why you love it there. I see why you like absolutely love living there and eating there. Cause it's just so much culture. Oh, you're hundred percent right. It's a great city to be in. And it's fun. To, it's, it's been fun over the last 19 years to watch the city grow. And, and you know, what's been really fun is to watch the tennis community grow here. You know, I, I keep going back to it, but I really believe that professional tennis drives everything else. And to see clubs still popping up, new clubs every every couple of years where new tennis players and the growth of community tennis and junior tennis and everything else is just immense here. And, and it's because we, we're, we're truly a tennis town. I'm hoping to come back this year. I haven't been back to Charleston or to the to the tournament even since my Smash Junior Cup days. So that was like 2007. So it's been a minute. So I'm really hoping to come back here and see how things have, have progressed. I mean, it's obviously incredible how, how far things have gone and how much more will be done in the future, including with UTR, including with what you're doing with, with the fans and the stands is genius. I mean, I love this stuff. No, it's great. You need to come back. It's been more than a minute. Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, okay, well, I think that's it for this episode. I think we've covered a lot of, of great ground here. And I'm, like I said, I'm really looking forward to seeing the tournament play out this year. And especially because so many players that win or reach the finals, I mean, we've got Sloane Stevens, Kiki Burtons, Cassette Kina, Ostapenko, Angelique Kerber, go on and have the best years of their life after doing well at your tournament, which is something really, 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 really great and something that people need to notice because it kind of kickstart their career to the top 10 almost. No, you're 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 very right. Um, we're, we kind of have that reputation, but I also, you know, I also know and believe that we're we're looking always for that next group of young players every year. We're we're identifying who do we think is next, and who do we think we really need to start looking for, you know, now. And you know, just even this year, we're looking at those, you know, Anasimova and um, young Canadian girl Bianca. I met her at Wimbledon a couple of years ago. I started talking to her two years ago because she was playing really well in the Canadian or in the, in the Wimbledon junior, you know, those players we believe are the future. So I think we do a good job of looking to see who that next player is or multiple players and making sure we're reaching out to them at a younger age. I'm sure they're also getting a lot of feedback from players that have been on the tour. It's like, Hey, there's a tournament you need to play. It's Charleston. Well, we love to hear that. That's for sure. Okay, great. Well, thank you for your time. This has been awesome. I'm really looking forward to Charleston. I'm sure the players are, and I'm sure everyone watching will be as well. Marina and Nina, I really enjoyed today, and please keep up the good work because I think it's great what you guys are doing. Oh, thank you so much. We love to have fans. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> thank you. All right, guys. Have a great day. This has been the Tennis.com podcast Inside the Tour. I've been Nina Pantic. And I've been Irina Falcone. Thanks for listening. You've been enjoying the Tennis.com podcast. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.